Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate broker in my day job with Halstead Real Estate, but Rediscovering New York is not a program about real estate. It's a show that usually, like today, is about New York City's neighborhoods and their extraordinary history. On most programs, we focus on a particular neighborhood, exploring not only its history, but also its current energy, texture, and vibe. What makes that New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with urban historians, preservationists, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, artists, and other neighborhood personalities. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting part or theme of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. We've had shows about the history of U.S. presidents who came or lived in New York, or the history of the women's suffrage movement in Brooklyn. We once had a show on the history of Irish immigrants who came to New York, and we've even explored the history of bicycling in New York. That's 200 years old, believe it or not. In the future, we'll journey to some of the city's parks or the subway, or maybe even their bridges or bridges and tunnels. We'll cover the ages of particular social or political movements, uh, or possibly musical genres and maybe architectural phenomena like Rockefeller Center. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast, on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and there are other services that I haven't even heard of that we're showing up on, so that's a really good thing, but I can't name them all. Uh, and today, we are actually going to journey to a special neighborhood in a very pretty neighborhood in Queens, Forest Hills. Our first guest is a regular on Rediscovering New York and our special consultant, David Griffin of Landmark Branding. David is a lifelong architectural enthusiast providing creative sales-enhancing services for the national real estate community. He's the founder and CEO of Landmark Branding, and his clients include architects and design firms, in addition to developers, brokers, and marketing companies. David co-produces a Room at the Top series. It's co-hosted with Jennifer Wallace of Nascent New York. It's the only ongoing network series in real estate to feature tours of Manhattan's greatest buildings, and it's one of the hottest tickets that I have ever come into contact with and possession of in my time in the real estate business. David's writing has appeared in Real Estate Weekly, Metropolis, Dwell, and the National Trust Preservation Magazine. And I always have a hearty welcome for David Griffin. David, thank you for coming back and speaking with us today. Great to be with you, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Some of our listeners have heard about your history, but uh, we have an increasing listenership, and, and some people who are listening to us have not. How did you get interested in architectural history, and specifically in architectural history in our fair city? Well, when I was a uh, small child, my siblings and myself were the first costume docents to work at Old Bethpage Village Restoration out on Long Island, near where we lived. And I gained a real interest in historic buildings from that time forward. Uh, my grandmother lived in a historic home in the Hudson River Valley, right on the river, which was absolutely idyllic. And I enjoyed that very much, too. And as I grew older, I just grew interested in how things had been built, um, where things had come from, and how cities and towns had been shaped in American history. Uh, so I studied um, architectural history, um, art history, and English uh, took a double major at Vassar and began writing for magazines such as the National Trust Preservation. And uh, then uh, I realized that the, the real estate community sort of was a little bit in need, I think, of ways of uh, talking about you know, buildings that they had, portfolios or, or uh, separate residences, and began to branch out into a way of sort of sharing this kind of information with that community as well. Hmm. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about landmark branding later in our segment on the program. Um, Forest Hills in Queens, like much of Queens, Forest Hills must have been farmland before it became settled in towns and, 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 and villages. Yes, uh, it really was open farmland from the point of European colonization through the late 19th century and uh, actually into the first few years of the 20th century. It's actually an, uh, a pretty old part settled in uh, New Netherland. Of course, New York was only New Amsterdam, the city itself. But there were settlers in this area, uh, European settlers, as early as the 1630s, I think, weren't there? 1635. Wow. So, and Forest Hills, by the time that it was established, uh, was basically dominated by a half dozen very large farms in that area uh, that then became the current development. Mm. How did Forest Hills get its name? 
it, it drew its name from a Forest Park, and Forest Park was um, a, uh, it, it is now, of course, a public park, occupied, again, by various landowners until the late 19th century. And this is rather interesting. Although Forest Park is located in Queens, it was the city of Brooklyn that was looking for land for a large public park. In 1892, New York State Legislature authorized the park search, and the Brooklyn Parks Department purchased the first parcel of this space in 1895, whereupon the name Brooklyn Forest Park was first used. Uh, because of the numerous private landowners involved, the park had to be assembled in no less than 124 parcels and only finished in 1898. Uh, the park itself was designed by the successor firm to uh, Vox and Olmsted, who of course are the designers of Central Park, Prospect Park, and numerous other parks in and around the New York City area. And it is, I think, a sort of a, an underappreciated uh, gem of urban planning. Mm. Well, I have to admit, as I'm a native New Yorker and I love lots about the city, I have not been to Forest Park yet, <laughs> but now I think I'm going to be guilt-tripped uh, by my two guests to have to visit it and do it pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, it's funny it was completed in 1898 because that's when um, Greater New York was established on January 1st in 1898. So Brooklyn, uh, exactly. if they paid for some of the land, they lost it to the, exactly. to the city. Exactly. Uh, by when would Forest Hills have begun to look at least a little bit like that we see today, certainly well, in its street grid format and the construction of some of its houses. In 1906, the Cord Mayer Development Company, which was headed by an attorney from Brooklyn, again, Cord Mayer, uh, bought up the abutting land made up of the six farms that I mentioned, all of which were very, very large. They weren't like the minuscule parcels that, that were assembled into the park. These were very large estates. Uh, the company then renamed the aggregate, which is 600 acres, Forest Hills after nearby Forest Park, um, and began to install single-family homes, uh, some of which were designed by architects who are you know, known to people in the Brooklyn and Queens Historic Societies, Robert Tappan, William Patterson, so very high-quality architects of that time period and in that region. And this would have been about at the turn of the last century? Yeah, around 1910, basically. Mm -hmm. We see the, 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 the final roads are laid out by 1910. Uh, present day, what is known as Askin Avenue in Forest Hills is actually named after Askin Bacchus, who owned the largest and I think the oldest of the original farms to make up the present district. Hmm. Uh, and Forest Hills continued to be built throughout the, the first half of the 20th century. You know, there's a very beautiful part of Forest Hills, and I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes. Uh, Forest Hills Gardens. Yes. Uh, it is, it's really charming, and if you, you go into it, and it, it's, it's different than any other neighborhood. It's almost otherworldly actually. There, there's nothing quite like it in New York City, and I don't think that there's much like it in the United States. Um, Margaret Sage was the founder of the Russell Sage Foundation, and some people may be familiar with the very, very beautiful building um, on uh, Lexington Avenue, just a few uh, blocks north of Gramercy Park, which was the original headquarters of the Sage Foundation. And they were very concerned with, among other things, urbanization and its effects upon working class, middle class people, upon women, upon children, upon migrants, etc., and so forth. Um, they bought 142 acres of land from the Cord Mayer Development Company back in 1908. This land was earmarked for Forest Hills Gardens, a development on the southern side of Forest Hills. And uh, Ms. Sage and her board selected Grosvenor Atterbury, who was a renowned architect, to commission, uh, they commissioned him to design Forest Hills Gardens. In some ways, this was very much an experimental community in the United States. It was an, a, a, a sort of an attempt to create a permanent garden satellite or garden city within the environs of New York City, which was uh, even at that sort of, you know, we think of it as an early period in New York, but a city that was becoming increasingly infamous for overcrowding, uh, definitely was becoming famous for the skyscrapers and skyline, a kind of a, a new form of ultra-urbanization which hadn't been seen really anywhere on the planet. Uh, and in only a very few places in the United States itself. And there was something called the Garden Cities Movement, wasn't there? Yes, the Garden Cities Movement also it, it stemmed out of early 20th century England. Uh, it was popularized by the British urban theorist Sir Ebenezer Howard and inspired a crop of British garden cities. These were intended to be 
more practical than they were utopian, let's say. Uh, but they were a you know somewhat nostalgic urban planning concept that envisioned self-sustained communities of working class people surrounded by green belts. Uh, proportionate zones for homes, industry, and agriculture that separated things out so that you weren't living right on top of the factories or the places where you were employed. Uh, there were green spaces and enough places for children to play. There was fresh air. There was sunlight. Um, there were numerous examples of garden city architecture in England, but in some ways I think Forest Hills Gardens actually surpasses the British model. It is much more... Of course, we do Open. a lot of things better than the British. But. Well, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't go that far necessarily, but I would say that um, Forest Hills Gardens is remarkable in terms of the detailing, the, the scaling, and this kind of site-specific quality of the architecture. It's really a remarkable, uh, remarkably organic piece of work. Um, um, obviously, Atterbury was aware of both British arts and crafts movement architecture. He was also aware of the Prairie School. He was aware of Art Nouveau. He was an admirer of the Tudor Revival. Uh, certain themes of German expressionism can be found in the houses in Forest Hills Gardens. And he created a district that really almost looks like a film set. When you get out there, you, you sort of expect everyone to come dancing out and welcome you to the Emerald City of Oz because it has a kind of a theatrical quality to it that is also painterly at the same way. So it's, a, it's definitely an aesthetic movement suburb in a way that very, very few anywhere in the world are. Well, one of the things that's preserved the character of the neighborhood, and I was struck by it when uh, slightly after I graduated from college, <clears throat> full disclosure, David and I know each other through uh, our alma mater, through Vassar College, I was driving around with um, my, my college roommate, and we were going to live either in Forest Hills or Kew Gardens, and I didn't know about Forest Hills Gardens, and we drove through one of the arches, and it was this, this, <laughs> this neighborhood that I had never seen before. Um, one of the things that's preserved the character has been the restrictive covenants that were built into the deeds of the properties. What were some of those restrictions? That well, basically, you, you couldn't alter the garden-like character of the property. No changes could be made to the exterior architecture. Um, you basically had to make sure that anything that you did sort of fed into the aesthetic that had been established by Atterbury, um, which is, you know, highly detailed. We're talking, you know, handmade wrought iron street signs, um, you know, curb stones made out of bluestone, very, very highly detailed. The thing that makes these covenants sort of interesting in a way, and they have been challenged, I think, you know, both by observers and occasionally by tenants, is the fact that unlike many other covenants of the time in uh, communities that were being established in the early part of the 20th century, they didn't address racial or class issues. It was simply about the appearance of the of the district. So it wasn't in any way saying, oh, these people can't live here, these people can't join us, you're not our kind, et cetera, and so forth, which actually, unfortunately, was a lot of the, the covenant zoning of the time up until at least the Second World War. Yes, including in the metro in the New York metropolitan area. Right. You know, is that favorite fa famous scene in Anti-Mame when uh, um, uh, the violinist of the New York Philharmonic, uh, one of the antagonists, was, you know, w didn't like the fact that they were going to move in. And right, was exactly. Because mm -hmm. he was Jewish. Um, when were the buildings of Forest Hill Gardens, Forest Hills Gardens built? Uh, did it take and did it take a long time to finish the? It took it? about six or seven years. Um, they began the construction in uh, in 1908, and I believe they finished it between 1910 and 1917. Rather interestingly, uh, despite the fact that the houses have a very beautiful handcrafted appearance, uh, a lot of the construction in this entire area used prefabricated building techniques. Uh, the houses were built from approximately 170 different standardized precast concrete panels, wow. fabricated off-site and then positioned by crane. So although it has the appearance of being very much a kind of a, you know, highly finished artisan community, uh, it's also sort of a testament to engineering mechanization and um, standardization processes. And I think it really is kind of a, an interesting illustration of how much can be done with that if people really put their minds to it. Was that the most substantial project like that in terms of uh, prefabricated uh, parts that ever went into the city? 
at that particular point in American history, probably in terms of the scope of the building, um, we're talking about 800 different buildings. So it's, it's quite a lot. Wow. Uh, so I would say yes, although I imagine other communities around the same period rapidly eclipsed it. Mm. Although I'm sure that the kitchens have been updated since then and maybe some yes, of the bathrooms. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with David Griffin and Forest Hills. Stay tuned. Great. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York and my first guest of the hour, David Griffin. Um, there were two points I wanted to make, actually, before we went on the break, and, and I didn't. Um, one was that um, I recently did a video of Battery Park City, and I called it the best design neighborhood in New York because it didn't exist. The land didn't exist, and it was an urban planner's dream. In the 1970s, they got to design everything, but uh, a much earlier planned neighborhood was Forest Hills Gardens. It was completely yes. planned mm-hmm. from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it sounds like um, uh, the some of the restrictions are as restrictive as the Vucare Commission in New Orleans. Like you can't, and they, right. you, mm-hmm. you can't paint a shutter without a permit. So mm-hmm. in the Forest yeah. Hills Gardens, you can't, you know, change a brick without making sure that it conforms to the exactly the covenant. Exactly. I mean, the interesting thing is that Forest Hills Gardens is not actually a historic district, but because of the covenants uh, that are signed into with the association, it very well may be because. Uh, the level of preservation in that area is really, really remarkable. And um, it's just one of the best tended, I think, and kind of best cared for and maybe sort of best loved neighborhoods of its vintage in New York City. It's not a place that people go to in order to change it. They go there because they like what's there. Mm. And what's there is so substantial that, yeah, I mean, you'd you'd be fooling yourself to think you were getting anything other than what you were seeing. So. Sounds like landmarking came on the scene there before it became New York law, but through well, uh, the covenants, restricted pretty covenants. Pretty much, yes. Well, David, tell us about landmark branding and what landmark branding does and what you do to help um, uh, developers and landlords to promote the assets that they have to, to the public. Sure thing. So uh, basically, I work with developers, I work with uh, brokers, I work with architects and designers, and I create everything from website copy, uh, corporate strategies, bios, I do PR support, marketing support at every level. I create VIP events, uh, special tours. As you mentioned, I do a, a tour series with Jennifer Wallace of Nascent Art New York. And Jennifer and I have been doing this for many years. Room at the Top is the name of the tour, uh, where we tour historic skyscrapers in New York. Jennifer is an arts expert. Her company provides new art to new buildings. And um, of course, I do marketing with a focus on historic and uh, significant architecture. And we talk about architecture as a kind of an economic drive for New York City, the importance of public art, of public architecture, public space. Uh, I also do um, 
uh, a series of talks on the history of New York. I have a talk on the history of the penthouse that I am uh, in the process of developing into a book. Talk on the history of the studio apartment, uh, one that I'm developing that will be the history of the brownstone, the history of the Gilded Age mansion on Fifth Avenue. And uh, it's sort of ways of exploring different facets of New York City. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a blog called Every Building on Fifth. I've just completed it very recently. 600 entries, 545 buildings. We started at Washington Square, went all the way up to the Great Armory in Harlem. And that was very exciting to, to kind of wrap that up. So, uh, yeah, uh, basically um, I am available through my website, which is www.landmarkbranding.com. And... Uh, there's a whole host of options people can explore if they are interested in learning more about the fabric of the buildings that they live in, represent, or are otherwise engaged with. And your lectures are fabulous. I've actually, full disclosure Thank again, you. David has been, uh, uh, has held, I've held a lecture with David talking about the history of the penthouse. Everyone who attended loved it. And uh, we'll actually have to get you back on the show to talk about some architecture because I take advantage of your good offices to talk uh -huh. about the history of neighborhoods. Uh, David's our special consultant, by the way. Um, moving back to Forest Hills, um, one of the really beautiful pieces of, of practical architecture is the train station in Station Square. Yes, yes. When did the Long Island Railroad open the train station in Forest Hills, and when was Station Square built? Uh, it opened in 1911, and again, this is contiguous with um, the Sage Foundation's development of Forest Hills Gardens. So the, the hotel and other buildings, it was formerly a hotel, and other buildings that are visible from the station were all developed again by Atterbury. Uh, they all fit in with the kind of Tudor slash Art Nouveau slash Expressionist aesthetic that kind of governs Forest Hills Gardens. Um, the Queens Boulevard trolley line opened two years later, so you had a way to reach... Forest Hills both on the trolley or by passenger rail. And of course, this helped drive development throughout Forest Hills on both sides of the, uh, of the railway line. Um, the station itself was built with a brick courtyard. There's a clock tower, arch-filled underpasses that are really quite magical. Again, as, a, as a, I think Jeff pointed out, you drive under one of those and you feel like you're almost driving into another century or another world in a way. Um, but th the station itself helped again to generate a, a new level of interest in the area as a place that was practical to get to as well as attractive. And of course, the station was opened around the same time that Penn Station opened. Prior to Penn Station, op prior to Penn Station opening, and the East River tunnels having been constructed, which, by the way, in about 1910-1911 was, was a remarkable feat of engineering. It was four separate tunnels that spanned three miles underground. The Long Island Railroad terminated in Long Island City, and you had to take a ferry across. But uh, uh, the uh, expansion of the transportation system also led to the big development in, in Queens and also in, in the suburbs. Um, we can't talk about Forest Hills without talking about tennis. When did mm -hmm. tennis first come to, to Forest Hills on a, on a substantial scale? Well, the, um, the Forest Hills was the, the home, actually, of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament for many, many years. Uh, the event was held at the Westside Tennis Club uh, before moving to its uh, present location. And the Westside Tennis Club was in Manhattan originally. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. And then it, it moved to Forest Hills. When the Open was played at the tennis stadium, the tournament was commonly referred to as merely Forest Hills, just as the All England Lawn Tennis Association Championships are referred to simply as Wimbledon. Well, when I was growing up, uh, Forest Hills, I grew up in Brooklyn in, in, uh, in Manhattan Beach, and Forest Hills was synonymous with the U.S. Open. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, uh, my stepfather uh, had been a pro professional tennis player. Oh, okay. He's from India, actually. And uh, mm -hmm. we always talk about going to Forest Hills, and we would you know, go in the mm -hmm. car mm -hmm. and find parking on a side street. It was very non-modern stadium-like. You know? It was just... Uh, it was like going to um, uh, the barns in Philadelphia. You had to park like in the, on, exactly. on the street in the suburbs in order to exactly. go. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it turned up in several films. There are references to Forest Hills as a tennis location. Um, in 1951, Alfred Hitchcock's film uh, Strangers on a Train, the main character, who's played by Farley Granger, is a professional tennis player, and the, the movie features a championship game at the club 
with distinctive shots actually of the community of Forest Hills. Uh, later on in 2001, the Royal Tenenbaums, obviously the, the cult classic. Uh, Luke Wilson's character plays a tennis match at the Westside Tennis Club in Forest Hills. So, uh, The tennis stadium itself hosted numerous music concerts in addition to the tennis games, including the Beatles, um, after the U.S. Open, departed for Flushing Meadows, and resumed hosting music concerts during the summer of 2013, uh, when the British rock band Mumford and Sons played there to an overflowing crowd. You say you've never been to Forest Park. I've never heard of Mumford and Sons. But <laughs> I'm glad they showed up and did what they could. Uh, well, we're going to do uh, several shows in the future on music mm -hmm. in New York, uh, modern at the time. Well, maybe we'll cover uh, what's called Mum Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons. I've never heard of them either. <laughs> when did the uh, When did the U.S. Open move out of Forest Hills to to Flushing? Uh, I believe that that was. Let me see. I have to ask you at least one question that almost thumps you, David, on the, on the okay, show. Okay, <laughs> exactly. There usually is one. I don't know exactly the year. Mm. Um, possibly our next guest will be able to tell mm. us, but um, but yeah, no. Uh, okay, no matter. Uh -huh. uh, well, there are famous people from Forest Hills, and speaking about modern music and Mumford & Sons, uh, uh, one of the bands that led to the birth of punk here in the, uh, in the U.S. actually was from Forest Hills, the Ramones. Yes, and it's sort of a little bit hard to kind of line up the Ramones sort of music uh, with, uh, with Forest Hills in terms of it being this kind of idyllic uh, sort of environment. You have these, these people who are kind of like, you know, the, the really one of the, the, the forerunners of the punk movement internationally uh, from New York, along with New York Dolls, Blondie. Um, other people like that. Uh, Maybe and that's why they went to the East Village. <laughs> it might be why they, they changed bases. But yes, all of the Ramones were actually from Forest Hills. They all met at Forest Hills High School, which is, you know, one of the most beautiful high schools, I think, in the entire city. It's this beautiful colonial revival building. Um, there is some thought that the Forest Hills High School was the, the, the basis, the satirical basis for the cult film Rock and Roll High School, starring the Ramones in which a very um, uh, elegant-looking high school actually is blown up at the end by the Ramones and uh, the teenage populace. Uh, so it might be sort of like the, the ultimate kind of uh, biting back at the suburb that raised you. <laughs> but uh, uh, And actually, another um, musician uh, troupe that kind of came out of Forest Hills, also a uh, different side of the genre entirely, Simon and Garfunkel. Both Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel are Forest Hills natives. One of my mother's favorite, some of my mother's favorite musical artists, and I grew up on them in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, Thelma Ritter is also from Forest Hills. Yes, the great character actress, um, best known perhaps for her uh, portrayal of Birdie in All About Eve, which I think was her first Oscar nomination, uh, but definitely a, a, a real presence in mid-century cinema. And uh, also, uh, in fiction, Forest Hills was the home of a famous Marvel comic. Yes, era. yes. The, uh, the web slinger, Spider-Man, actually first uh, spun his webs uh, up and about the apartment building district of Forest Hills. And I believe the first, um, I won't say the first version of him to hit the cinema, but the one that starred Tobey Maguire does actually show uh, certain blocks of Forest Hills as where... Peter Parker is supposed to be from. Mm. Um, his uh, block address is just a few blocks away from where the Warhol superstar Candy Darling used to live. And uh, again, it's sort of like interesting to think of these people kind of coming out of such a, a sort of a, a, this, this bucolic environment who are so sort of uh, associated with like kind of urban grit and glamour in a way, whether you're Spider-Man or Candy Darling or Andy Warhol or the Ramones, it's sort of like this this kind of like very, very ultra-urban ascetic. But all of these people lived and, you know, grew up in, in Forest Hills. Wow. Well, just to show, New York has many, many great neighborhoods with a lot of amazing history and a lot of cultural references that many people don't even realize come from all these great places we have in New York. David Griffin of Landmark Branding, thank you so much for being a guest on Get On uh, Rediscovering New York. 
Thanks uh, a lot, Jeff. One thing we didn't mention before, how do people get in touch, have, find out more about your company and get in touch with you directly? Well, uh, um, again, I'm available at www.landmarkbranding.com, which has my, my email and phone number on it. Uh, dgriffin at landmarkbranding.com is my, uh, uh, my email address. And uh, I can always be, you know, reached through either of those. Wonderful. David is also our special consultant, by the way, for the show. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking with our second guest, who's the president of the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce. Excellent. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m. we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for our program comes from our sponsors, the Mark Maiman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212 495 0317. Our show is about New York's neighborhoods and the myriad textures of our amazing city. Even though I work in real estate, one thing our show is not about is the business of real estate. But you'd have nothing to fear because there really is a good one on the radio. It's called Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. and can be heard at voiceamerica.com and on podcast. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, name of my page is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. Surprise, surprise. And also follow me on Instagram. My handle is Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me. You can reach me at Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. And one other note before we get to our second guest, when I am not hosting this show in this amazing studio, I am a real estate agent in the city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you'd like to see how I can help you with your real estate needs, you can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761 or, of course, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. My second guest is Leslie Brown, who's the president of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Leslie has, I'm sorry, the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce. I'm a member of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Thinking about live radio, you can't uh, edit it. Um, Leslie is a lifelong resident of Forest Hills. Her experience as a small business owner and president of the Forest Hills Chamber give her unique opportunities and viewpoints about Forest Hills. Leslie is dedicated to serving her community and helping to make it thrive. She is the founder and artistic director of Jazz Thursday's free outdoor concerts, which we'll talk about, and the Forest Hills Festival of the Arts. Leslie has won a variety of awards for her work, including the 2016 City and State's Queen's Power 50 Award, ranked 40th of the most powerful and influential people in the borough of Queens, the 2016 Queens Community House Local Community Builder Award, 
and the 2002 Rosemary Gunning Award given by the Queensboro President's Office honoring women who have done outstanding job service in their community. And recently, Leslie was joined my noble profession uh, in real estate. Leslie is married and enjoys cooking, entertaining, and has a passion for music and art. Leslie, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. I'm so pleased to be here. You're a lifelong resident of Forest Hills. I came to Forest Hills when I was a tiny little girl. My parents came here to, at the time when Lincoln Center was first opening, and my dad was the principal horn at the New York City Ballet and at the opera. So we came here in the very early 60s, uh, and we moved to Forest Hills. Wow. Um, so your dad was with the ballet and also with the... Uh, well, there was, uh, you know, different seasons of... Um, what was happening in the music world still today. And uh, he came from the Pittsburgh Symphony, and he was a young man, and it was exciting. Ah. Are your parents from Pittsburgh, both from Pittsburgh? Uh, no. My ah. parents are from the Midwest. Hmm. Uh, your family also just doesn't have a musical history. They also have quite a business history in Forest Hills. Your mother opened a very interesting store in Forest Hills. She did. She was a, a business owner uh, in the early 70s when uh, there was a lot of organic movement going on. And she had my, me and my sister, who's younger than me, young children. She wanted to uh, have a business where she could incorporate that. She opened up a children's clothing store where she worked with uh, cottage industry women, and she herself made a lot of the clothing. Uh, and there were hand-knit sweaters and handmade quilts, and uh, it was a, a very unique shop. When did she open the business? Uh, in the early 70s. Uh-huh. And um, it involved later on, and I became part of it much, much later, through a second generation. We actually moved from Austin Street, which is the main shopping street. We moved from one end of Austin Street more toward the center of Austin Street, and um, we, I helped develop it into a toy store as well. But when it was in its original location, it also was the home of a children's theater. So she brought uh, musical entertainment to, I think we had about 50 children Saturday and 50 children Sunday every weekend, more or less. Oh, wow. Live piano music, puppets. It was exciting. Well, we're going to talk about your influence and genesis of some musical events and culture in Forest Hills and Queens a little bit later. Um, how did you become involved with the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce, Leslie? Well, initially, my mother was very involved. She was trying to, as they say, break the glass ceiling. It was um, a very small merchant's group of men, and um, she wanted to become involved. And I went along with her after I was finished with school, and I started going to the meetings, and then eventually I got on the board. And then later on, I went on to become the president. Well, it's great that you have that background in a family business and then went on to serve the local business community and do what you do to help businesses thrive in Forest Hills. Describe the vibe of, of Forest Hills. What is it that you, that you like about it and that makes it special for you? Well, Forest Hills really is like a small town. And when you were talking about the Forest Hills gardens, there are things that happen in there. Uh, like Children's Day, which is the first Sunday in June, every Christmas Eve in the square where you're talking about where the Long Island Railroad is. Um, uh, the Gardens Corporation has a sled with a Santa that rides through the streets. There's caroling. They serve um, cider. And it, it's sort of like a step back in time when you go into the gardens, but it's accessible to all the people in Forest Hills. So that's one thing that makes it special. Um, I like to say that, you know, we're large enough to serve you and small enough to know you because when you walk down the street, you're constantly being greeted by people that you know, the shop owners get to know you, and it's uh, a real community feel. And Austin Street definitely has that feeling to it when you're, when you're on the street. It does. Um, how have you seen Forest Hills change as, since you've lived there most of your life and you've been engaged in a lot of commerce there? 
Well, when I was a very young child, there would be stores like we had a button store. We had a millinery store. Uh, we had all these special little stores. A lot of people remember this store called the Blue Candle, which was owned by a very old lady with very special little gift items. So, of course, we don't have those kind of stores anymore. We've evolved. Um, people always say, well, it's changed, and we have corporate stores. But in order to make Austin Street thrive, we need stores that people want to visit and some of them are corporate stores um the internet has played a lot of change with this type of stores because people shop online so now we're seeing um it's really hurt retail in in, in so many neighborhoods it has but we're seeing a different um evolution where for instance this year two um uh, barbershops open, sort of like high-end type of barbershops. Um, we have like, uh, now we have a ramen noodles store. We have we still have original cheeses of the world. So there are like a lot of food stores coming in that bring people in that people can't really get those kind of things online, the fresh kind of things like that. And we still have, you know, other small stores that have still survived mixed in along with an Ann Taylor or a Victoria's Secret, uh, that kind of thing. Hmm. Having lived in, and worked in Forest Hills for so long, is there anything that in its changes that surprises you about, about the neighborhood? Um, well, the community, the, the population has become more diverse than what it was. We, have, we now have a very large Asian population, which makes up almost 25% of our community, where when I was a child, let's say in the 60s, we had mostly a Jewish population. We also still have a, a large senior population, um, but we have a lot of young families. And... Uh, it's you can tell that because of the schools uh, they've made additions into the schools there are waiting lists to get into the schools and and there's just a lot of young families so that's bringing in a great young vibe to Forest Hills hmm. as a business person in Forest Hills and also the president of the Chamber of Commerce is, is there anything that you feel that you struggle with in the neighborhood in terms of businesses being able to do what they do and you being able to uh, to do your work for the chamber? Well, I have a slogan, three C's, commerce, culture, and community. And I believe that the more culture that you have in a community, it keeps people in that community. Um, and that's why I focus a lot on the uh, events that I do to bring people into the community. Hmm. Is there anything that you wish Forest Hills this is, this is the point in question I frequently ask people who do business in the neighborhood. Is there anything you wish Forest Hills had but didn't right now? Well, uh, it's funny you bring that up now because we really could use a community arts center, which we don't have, a small space for theater, for art exhibits, for musical presentations. Um, I think that that would be a fantastic uh, addition to our community. And I think it would bring people also into Forest Hills because we are so accessible with our transportation. We're like a transportation hub. Yes, you're like 15 minutes from Manhattan, thereabouts, on the subway. And uh, about the same on the Long Island Railroad. Yes. Um, we're going to take a break in a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you one other question. Um, what, do you have any particular advice for someone who looks to open up a business in Forest Hills? My advice would be is to be very careful to spend a lot of time counting the customers, researching what you're going to be doing, um, and planning uh, your strategy for your finances with your rent, and make sure that you have a good lease with options, because if you don't have a good lease, and you can be really stuck, because rents in Forest Hills are high. Mm. That's sound advice. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Leslie Brown, the president of the, of the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce. I almost did it again, <laughs> but corrected myself. And we're also going to ask Leslie about her involvement uh, in culture in Forest Hills. We'll be back in a minute. 
You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com We're back, and you're back to Rediscovering New York. My guest is Leslie Brown of the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce, and uh, today we are talking, surprise, surprise, about Forest Hills. Leslie, tell us a little bit about the Chamber. Well, the Chamber uh, has about 150 small businesses uh, located in and around Forest Hills, which can include Rigo Park, Kew Gardens. We have a few... People from outer areas that like Forest Hills so much that they want to be associated with Forest Hills as well. And we have everything from the small guys on Austin Street to uh, financial planners, um, dermatologists, dental offices. Uh, we have a lot of health and fitness. Um, this year we've seen a growth in our education. So we have a lot of preschools. Um, we have uh, an acting school for kids. We have Sheridan Fencing. We have just a very diverse amount of businesses that are part of the chamber. Hmm. And how, if people want to find out more about the chamber or get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can go to our website, foresthillschamberofcommerce.org. We are a not-for-profit. My email is fh, like Forest Hills, fhchamber at AOL.com, and uh, I'd love to answer any emails or questions that people may have. And we have another website, jazzthursdayslive.com. In fact, that's a great segue because I wanted to ask you about some of the culture that you've helped create in Forest Hills. Uh, let's talk about Jazz Thursday's free outdoor concerts. How did they get started? Um, Jazz Thursdays came about because I was just brainstorming about ideas of uh, bringing something different into Forest Hills, and uh, jazz is a music that almost everyone relates to and likes. Um, my dad had frequently worked with many chamber groups, and he'd done so many concerts and free concerts, and so I knew about that kind of thing, and I know that people love it, and I had this idea that it wouldn't be in a park or in an auditorium it would be outside on the street accessible to everyone and so it's held outside on 70th road between austin street and queens boulevard and we closed down the street and we set up a big stage and hundreds of seats and um 70th road is known as restaurant row so the stores on that street are pretty much all restaurants and they all have outdoor seating as well this takes place in the summer so people can go and eat and drink and hear the music and it's going into its 15th year and people absolutely love it and it's it's a really great time it happens 
twice. Uh, this year it's August 15th and August 22nd. Mm. Was it hard to start it when you first when you first started it? Um, it really took off right away. It started on a different block with a smaller amount of people, uh, but people kept asking for more and more concerts, and they still ask me for more and more concerts, and it's just a matter of sponsorship. So, you know, I'd love to hold more concerts, uh, and it's always a goal. And I'm looking at the promotion. You do have good sponsors, the Ridgewood Savings Bank, the Borough Cafe, the Borough President's Office, Melinda Katz, a member of the council, Karen Koslowitz. We do. Ponce Bank and others that are... Yeah, Ponce Bank is a is a new sponsor this year, and I was very excited to get a. Uh, it's the first time that they've offered a gr grants. They started a grant foundation this year, and I'm one of their uh, inaugural grant winners. And uh, the remaining uh, jazz Thursdays this year are Thursday, August fifteenth, and Thursday, August twenty second. Yes. I'm so glad we're having this show now and not the end of August, so we can <laughs> promote it. And the concert starts at seven p.m. Right. Um, you know, one of the thing, things about uh, what I kind of uh, personally associate with, with you having created this event is that when you think about jazz in the American cities that spawned it, two cities that mostly come to people's minds are New Orleans, of course, and Chicago. Um, New York is prominent in that list, but doesn't figure at the top of the list, and certainly neither does Queens, but Queens actually has all, had a lot of history in the development of jazz. Does. Billy Holiday, Fats Waller, Count Basie from Queens, Lena Horn, Neil yeah, Hinton, yeah, John Coltrane. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, no there's something <laughs> called the Queens Jazz Trail, and it, and a lot of those uh, jazz artists that you mentioned lived in Queens, and um, it's it's uh, it is really known for jazz. Mm. Louis Armstrong, uh, Louis Armstrong House, and he had the Louis Armstrong band that performed in the 1964 World's Fair that my dad was in his band, so that was exciting. Oh, wow. And um, that's a great place to visit the Louis Armstrong house, and periodically through the summer they also have concerts in his backyard. <laughs> For those people who don't know, I mean, most people know that New, uh, Louis Armstrong was from New Orleans originally, and he moved right. to Chicago as a young man. Uh, he eventually moved to Queens, where he lived for a large part of his adult life. He lived in Corona, and right. the Louis Armstrong Museum is still there. Um, let's talk about some of the other attractions that are noteworthy in Forest Hills. Um, a lot of people don't know is that Helen Keller lived in Queens, uh, lived in Forest Hills later in her life. She did, and uh, recently a young historian, his name is Michael Perlman, he did some fundraising, and he was able to get a mural erected uh, for Helen Keller, and it is on Ascan Avenue that was discussed before, um, and it's a whole mural on one side under the train trestle on Ascan Avenue between Austin Street and Burns Street. Helen Keller uh, lived here in Forest Hills from 1917 to 1938. Uh, she had a seven-room house at 93 Seminole Avenue, which is now 112th Street, and it's now the Reformed Temple of Forest Hills. And they also, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a ceremony. They have a plaque up announcing that that was where her house was. Um, oh, so they tore down her house to build the Reformed Temple. Well, uh. a lot of, I don't know if they tore it down to build the temple, but so many mansions and homes um, in the area were taken down as progress happened for apartment buildings or other schools or other things. Um, she also had um, a blind, uh, foundation, seeing eye dog foundation on our 110th street where there was a house, and I remember seeing the guide dogs when I was a kid, and my mother there was a cornerstone on the house that said the house that love built, Helen Keller. And when they tore that down, my mother made me and my sister look through the rubble to find this brick, which, of course, we never found. <laughs> um, but she had a rich history. She gave um, speeches at the um, uh, Forest Hills uh, train station, uh, and she entertained children in her home. Uh, and she was she was really really happy when the subway system came in because she went into the city, and um, so she just 
was a vibrant community member. She gave this 1924 Thanksgiving address to the children at the Church in the Gardens, which is on Ascan Avenue, uh, Lions Club. She was just in all aspects of Forest Hills life. Oh, wow. Uh, what's the Festival of Cinema? The Festival of Cinema is started by a young uh, filmmaker. Uh, it's going into its third year. Uh, it originally started in Kew Gardens. Uh, his name is Jason Simba, and it's a full-fledged festival uh, that's starting August 2nd um, and going for full 10 days, and it's at the uh, local uh, Regal Cinema, um, which is the Midway Movie Theater, which is, I believe, a landmarked Art Deco theater, although inside it's chopped up into many, mm. um, you know, many different theaters. Uh, there's over 120 films that are going to be exhibited, and um, they'll have an award ceremony on Sunday, August 11th. Uh, and it's going to be really, uh, it's going to keep growing as it has. The tickets are $16 for uh, daily screenings, and there's red carpet events that have $25 tickets. And you can find out more information at festivalofcinemanyc.com. Oh, great. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for being my guest on Rediscovering New York and uh, telling our listeners about the more recent history of Forest Hills and the things that inspire you about it and the things that you've done to um, uh, culturally enhance people's lives and people's visits to Forest Hills. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can also like us on Facebook and follow me on Instagram. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. And don't forget, when I'm not hosting the show, I am a real estate agent at Halstead, and whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storia. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding, who was my first guest on the show tonight. Stay tuned for At Home with David Thiergartner coming up next at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc and at 9 p.m. beyond potential living life your way with my friend Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 